Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Well, hello, and my name is Aaron Mansfield, and today I'm joined on the podcast with my co-host, Miss Morgan McClure. What's up, guys? And Mr. Stephen Vaughn. Hello, everyone. We are excited as we are beginning season three, and today we're talking about Christ as prophet, priest, and king. So we look forward to having the conversation with you today. So guys, uh, we've entered our new year, and I actually have a question specifically for Aaron, but also for all of us to kind of talk about. Last year, Aaron had made a decision that he was going completely paperless. It's so like I a wanted, New Year's resolution early. It was <laughs> early. It was a mid-year resolution. So I want to know, how are you doing with going paperless? Because I tried it once, it and is it did hard. not go well. It is very hard. There what? is too much paper in this world. So what makes so, it though so hard to go paperless? Okay, so I am such a, I like when I'm working at my desk and I have a thought, my instant, my habit, and this was a bad habit, but my instant habit was post a note. And I'd pull a post a note off of the post a note thing and then I would put down something and then I would run out of space on the post note so I'd pull another one. And like Morgan knows, or you know, like coming to my office, yep. I would have like post a notes scattered over my desk and then I would have to find time to like organize all of my post a notes into <laughs> one thing. And then that would just became a complete mess. So I have really tried hard to uh, be paperless as much as I can. I, I'm not carrying as much paper on me. And I realize if I don't have a planner or something that I can put paper in that I won't carry paper. So that has been very helpful. But what I've really found is I do kind of miss my post-it notes. Old habits um, die hard. I like hid one in my office. I ran out and I didn't buy any more. And, uh, but now when I need to like jot something down, I'm like kind of frustrated because I'm trying to find a pen. I'm trying to find a post-it note and I can't find anything <laughs> I want to write on. And, uh, and then when I'm at home and I share a home office with my wife, uh, she has post-it notes on her desk, but I don't. So I have since stolen her post-it note dispenser and it is now back on my desk. <laughs> so like, what was the point? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like she wasn't happy about it either because I blew through all of her colorful post-it notes. I think and, this is an obsession uh, with post-it notes is what it but is. But here's what I found <laughs> yeah. I really want. Like this is this is a birthday gift. Hint, hint. All right, people. Whoever's listening, my wife included. Uh, Aaron just wants a giant post-it note uh, for, they make those? for my birthday. Yeah, like you know, have you seen those things yeah. that are like on the desk and they're like they're little like five by seven like paper and it's just stick pads. to something. No, no, no. no but it's no. just paper. It just it's flat. just paper. So you rip it up and you rip it off. Think like a tissue box, but it's open on the top. Yes. It's just got paper inside. But they yes. have to make something that is giant like that that still sticks to things. No, no, they, I don't they, they find it. It doesn't have to stick. They do have really big ones that do stick. But I don't, I don't Aaron. have to have the sticky version. I just <laughs> hey, I need the version that I can write on at my desk, and then and then I can throw it away yeah. and don't carry it with me. But uh, but <laughs> I am trying because with a new year, you know, everybody has their New Year's goals of recalendar planning yep. and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to refine some of the things that I started, and it is tough though. I but just think it was so funny because the day you told me in staff meeting, you were like, "I am going fully paperless. Everybody, hold me." accountable to it yeah. like an hour later you walked into my office and handed me something with a sticky note on it. i was like aaron what is this i mean um, i of course can speak to this because my office looks exactly like aaron's with sticky notes everywhere yeah, but i'm not trying so to true. change that so that's why i can talk I about know. it are you paperless morgan no oh, morgan no. is no. not no 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 so 
I have a question because I'm not fully paperless either. I've tried at multiple points in my life and I figured that I just need to go hybrid. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's partially a generational thing? Like, do you think it's easier for the next generation below us to do it because they've always had that? But they don't even use paper. It's all typed. I remember when I was growing up, cell phones were new still. Right. So it's like Mm -hmm. we were the hybrid generation where like cell phones and stuff really was there. It was a not a smartphone. It didn't happen for us. Exactly. So you think it's easier for them to be completely paperless? Oh, 100%. No, I do because I think people of an older generation like they don't want pay, they don't want apps or anything for their calendar management. Yep. But like for our generation, we see the value in that. Mm-hmm. But we're also torn we're in torn. like what we have done. Because yeah. like my dad is completely pa- paper. Uh-huh. Like he's a list guy, and so f- growing up with that, I feel like it's like I. It's like what you said. I see the benefit. But it's so hard to like let go of the paper. Well, and there's something cathartic too about writing something <laughs> right. on yeah, paper exactly. and that checking you, it off. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, honestly, though, I can't remember the last time I've seen my brother pick up a pencil and start writing on paper. Like it's been ridiculous. <laughs> but New Year's resolutions. Do you guys? I mean, we talked about Aaron. Stephen, do you have any? Um, uh, I don't really do New Year's resolutions because I think that like <laughs> New Year's resolutions. Steven doesn't want the guilt of breaking it. I, be- week later. <laughs> I believe more in like just come up with a resolution whenever you need to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like good. for me currently, my resolution, if you want to call it that, it didn't happen in the new year, but uh-huh. it happened like before the new year. But it's I got a um, actual paper calendar. And then so before the new year, um, I downloaded this app to kind of schedule my time in blocks. Mm -hmm. I didn't put specific things in it, but it was just like, hey, on a normal week, depending on my schedule, these are things that need to be done around this time frame. And then in my actual like calendar I have now, I can put specific appointments and stuff. And so my phone will remind me, hey, you know, like you have an open launch or you have an appointment here. But then I also have a list that I can go to. I just, nice. I just really did not nice. get any of that. It's really <laughs> did nice. You, did you feel like, like it was like, you have like lists for your list is what it sounds like. No, so it's a list that never changes on my phone. It's like a reminder of like, you should be doing this right now. And okay. I never change it. Okay. It's yeah, like a so thing that I took like an hour time. to do. Gotcha. And that's done. your brain dump. That's my, yeah, yeah. exactly. And okay. then my calendar that I keep up to is date what you is my paper to accomplish. One. Exactly. Okay. I see that. And so it catches me. It's kind of like a fail safe for a lot of things right. and so that's been a real big help actually for me yeah, and trying so to go cool. into the new year with like school starting back up and stuff I was like I need something right. but to alleviate the problem you mentioned about having paper I got one without pockets oh, so I literally go. can't yeah. stick paper in it and so right. like all you can have is like one sheet max because it'll fall out if you have any more <laughs> very so. good Morgan what about you any new year's plans resolutions yeah funny enough mine focused more around time too um so i really just determined that this year um and i started doing it last year but you know the end of the year things kind of fall apart even though if you're really good at it all year long um we kind of let like the last three weeks of december just be what they are yeah nothing counts at christmas time that's what i say um (laughs) but uh i just have decided to be really a lot more disciplined in my um going to bed and my waking up early so <clears throat> this I'm I'm really trying to be in bed or like winding down like with a book in bed by nine o'clock. Whoa! And I get up at five, Whoa. so get full eight hours. Um, but then Whoa. I I can just do so much even before I come to work. It's amazing. So <clears throat> right, yeah, I've enjoyed it so far. Nine um, o'clock. I just need to know this now. We don't text Morgan at nine thirty. Uh, <laughs> well, that's why I don't ever respond. <laughs> I, I just say, when we text like, you, I respond in the morning for work stuff at night. <laughs> what do you like, do? What do you do? Like if you're at like a place, do you just like peace out at like a 
Um, well, like, is there any like, is there any like, no, because r- wiggle I'm like room a, on this? Yeah, or? there is wiggle room okay. because I'm a big, I, I'm as much as I like structure, I'm also very being oriented. That's why okay. I run late so much is because if I am with somebody and That's like the time be. is quality, yeah, like, sure, I'm there until we're done, you yeah. know. So I apologize for my chronic lateness, people. That's why it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it is a new year, and mm-hmm. uh, with that comes, a, I mean, maybe there's things that you're endeavoring to, I um, hope there are things that you're endeavoring to do. And, you know, with a new year, uh, you know, we just came through a presidential election, and uh, soon, if not when this comes out, uh, we'll be right at or have just had uh, a presidential inauguration, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, um, you know, as we think about, you know, what we're going to be talking about on the podcast today the office is a prophet, priest, and king. You know, I think as we were thinking about it, that's a challenging topic because people, at least in America, those are probably very foreign concepts to most people. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I mean, regardless of what you think about, you know, the gifts of prophecy, and then there might be differences of that. But I would say most people are not real familiar with those three things. The office. The office. The of office. Of, like people obviously yeah. understand maybe prophecy or something like that. Right. But like the office of a prophet, the office of a priest, and the office of a king, those are not offices that our country has recognized or does recognize because we don't, right. we just don't have them, you know? But, but we do know kind of, you know, we have a president and we have an inauguration, which, I mean, if we think about what is an inauguration, what's going on kind of in that moment. Yeah. It's like um, a transition of power, really. Like yeah. it's the person is now being recognized officially as a, you're the one in charge. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's basically it. But, I mean, but, but they are also inaugurating them in that role. I mean, in that yeah. title, mm-hmm. right. I mean, of, of office of president or, um, and, and, you know, even I think people understand that a person's title, I mean, you know, we got titles for things and the job that you hold, you have a title where you work and the title oftentimes tells about somebody's identity. It tells mm-hmm. about what type of work they do, uh, in the office they hold. And, and actually the same is true when we look at the Bible and we think about Christ and the offices that Christ holds. Um, you know, when, when when Jesus was asking his disciples, he asked them the question, he says, who do men say that I am? Mm-hmm. And and Peter answered, he says, you are the Christ, uh, the son of the living God. And and as we think about Peter, his, his declaration of Jesus being the Christ, what did that signify? I mean, what did that mean uh, when Peter said that? It literally was him saying that you are the Messiah. Um, you are, um, you are the one who has come to fulfill all that. So the, the term Christ is not the exact equivalent to the Hebrew term for Messiah, but in saying that he is referring back to the Hebrew term of an anointed one. It's the Hebrew word Mashiach, and it literally means the anointed one or anointed one. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about that is if you look in the old Testament, anointing happens for three different, uh, types of people, prophets, priests and kings. And so in calling him Messiah, he is literally calling him prophet, priest, and king. Right. Yeah. And and there were those who were set apart in the Old Testament to fulfill those offices, and they were anointed oftentimes with oil uh, to kind of signify their ordination into that responsibility. And so today on the podcast, we want to talk about the significance of what does it mean that Jesus is both prophet, priest, uh, and king. 
Now, let's just kind of begin there and talking about Jesus as prophet. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, specifically in the Old Covenant, there the prophets had a really unique responsibility. Uh, and kind of what was what was that? I mean, what was their role and 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 how were they involved in that prophetic office? Yeah, so uh, in the Old Testament, when we see prophets, they're really the mouthpiece um, of God to the people. So God was using them as uh, his messengers. Um, I think the the first one um, that really comes to my mind is Moses. Um, okay, yeah. Because he was the one who had direct contact with the Lord, and he was giving um, messages to uh, the newly liberated um, people of Israel from Egypt. And he was Moses was his point guy um and he was the one who spent the time up at mount sinai um getting the ten commandments yeah and i, I actually personally i've just been reading uh in my bible reading and i was in exodus where 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 god uses moses in that way to introduce the people to god yeah and i mean it, it really kind of struck me once again as i read that of thinking about like here's the israelites they've they've been delivered out of egypt and now god is going to reveal himself and make himself known to them and he uses moses in that prophetic way as kind of uh telling the people what God had said. And, you know, as God gives him the Ten Commandments, and then Moses gives those to the people, we see Moses acting in that kind of mouthpiece on behalf of God. And... um, but we, what, what an amazing responsibility that those prophets had in the Old yeah. Testament. You know, I, I, I think about it often when I hear about a prophet, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, we're all familiar with the phrase, thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, God would tell his prophet something, and then that prophet's responsibility was to tell the people. Um, I, I kind of think about the office of a prophet as like an arrow mm-hmm. uh, that gets mm-hmm. sent down from God to the people, and it's through the prophet. It's 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 through that way. And uh, it was a serious responsibility because they were making known uh, God's revealed will to the people. Mm-hmm. What were some other things that maybe were notable for the prophets in yeah, the Old I d- Testament? I think of Scripture because of how much Scripture the prophets of God wrote um, in the Old Testament, how much is included of their prophecies in Scripture, and even to an extent, too, like how much of the words of God that they carry to the people that aren't even included in Scripture, you know, that were not inspired by God, but um, they were still his words to a specific people in a specific time that he spoke through them, you know, right. and just how how they literally, uh, they were God's messengers, you know, and how they literally were his messengers of his word. And uh, I, find it, I find it really cool uh, that in the Old Testament, um, literally God says that he will send a prophet. Uh, unlike any other prophet. That's what I love about, um, it's in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. It says, the Lord your God, this is Moses, will raise up for you a prophet. Moses speaking, saying this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Mm. And uh, pointing towards the greatest prophet who would one day come and be unlike any other prophet, um, because he's a messenger, but he's also the Messiah. Like in what in centuries, the world? really, before Christ mm-hmm. comes, we see this pr- prophecy looking forward mm-hmm. to Christ being 
uh, a prophet. And then, you know, in the book of Matthew, Jesus, while he walked among this earth, uh, was referred to as a prophet. In Matthew mm-hmm. 21, verse 11, the crowd says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And uh, in Luke 7, the Bible talks about how fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. Mm-hmm. And and so we see a number of times, even in the instance where Jesus meets with the woman at the well, and she said to Jesus, she said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, mm-hmm. right? And so there was something about Christ in the way that he spoke uh, really representing God to the people. You know, Hebrews really brings us full force into the significance of Jesus's office as a prophet. Uh, in Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1, long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That was how God communicated to his people. But in verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, mm. whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But listen to verse three there again. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So what did that mean? What does that mean? What is the significance of Jesus's prophetic office? Yeah, it means that instead of God sending another messenger or more words, he sent the word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus isn't Himself. just Jesus isn't just words this time. Jesus is literally the exact communication of who God is because he is God. And so God comes to us in flesh. He comes to us into our mess, becomes a part of our mess as a prophet, but he's prophesying of himself, (laughs) of God. And he is literally showing of himself, not just speaking words, but of his actions, of his life. He is living the living word of God. That's right. You go ahead. Yeah. And that's what, that's what people saw too. Um, the woman at the well, when she said, I perceive that you're a prophet or, um, after he raised the widow's son in in Luke 7, the people, you know, they had seen things that he had done and the way that he had spoken. He had this authority that other prophets didn't have before. I mean, they spoke with a measure of authority because God had sent them. But now Jesus, as God himself, had an authority as a prophet like no other. Right. And the significance in Jesus' coming is not only did he speak the word of God, but he is the word of God. I mean, that's what John was making in his gospel, Mm -hmm. the point that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the most incomprehensible wonder uh, that God himself would enter into this world that he has created. And Jesus comes in this fullest revelation of who God is uh, to humanity. You know, I've been thinking about that because as we think about, okay, well, then how is this relating uh, to culture and, and, and how do we understand this in our present day? I think one of the things that stands out to me as Jesus is prophet is 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 realizing uh, that that as Jesus comes he represents uh, God in his in his fullness because mm-hmm. um and 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 so what does that mean today well well I think it means the fact that that in in all of this Jesus um is God and um having made known to us what God is like you know Every religion in the world today is man's effort to try and reach God. And uh, every false religion is is man's effort to 
find God, seek after God, reach God, and it's futile. And yet Christianity blows that whole thing apart (laughs) uh, because Christ enters into this world and makes himself, God makes himself known to man. And that, I think, is what is so profound is when we think about the fact that 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 is what grace is. Grace is God making himself known to us because we could have never, ever found him apart from his revealed will and word uh, to us. Yeah. And what I what I think is so fascinating, too, if you just look over the course of time um, and, you know, different religions, uh, different um, aspects of society like arts and, and culture, um, you can see and you can trace like a prophet slash hero type, one that was foretold to come and be the chosen one to be saved. Like, look at any number of book series. Everybody's looking for a chosen one who's going to to do uh, the thing that the people need and to be saved by. But I, you know, the Bible talks about eternity being written on the heart of man. Um, and I think the need for a, a prophet to tell us of the good news was written on our hearts as well. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so fascinating how you can see that in so many different levels of who we are as human beings, always looking for that, that one. Right. Yeah. And then, but Jesus comes and he fulfills it in a perfect way Yeah, because that's, he himself is perfect. Because, you know, the thing is, we, th- we think about the prophets in the Old Testament, even the ones that, you know, stand to the top is like, wow, this was really somebody. But then you read in Scripture, and, I, and I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't gloss over their imperfections, mm-hmm. you know, because you read some of these great prophets of God. I think about somebody like Elijah. And, and all his prophetic office and what he did. And then, and then you also see moments where, you know, Elijah in fear is running for his life. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you, you, see it, you see the weakness of man, and yet Jesus comes as the God-man mm-hmm. uh, to fulfill that office. Yeah, yeah, it's a God-ordained office, but it's also a God-fulfilled office. Mm. And in Jesus, that office was perfectly fulfilled. It right. is fulfilled. And that's why we, we don't have an office of prophet in the New Testament church necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's people who we say, oh, they have the gift of a prophet. Well, what we're saying is they have the gift of speaking and taking God's word and making it known very clearly, right? But as far as an actual office, there is no specific office of prophet in the New Testament church. Mm-hmm. And the reason being because Jesus Christ fulfilled it perfectly. right? Yeah. And that's not to say that uh, depending on where people might land on prophecy and all those things, that's not what we're getting into. We're talking about the office, specific office of a prophet that was so highlighted in the Old Testament and that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Exactly. And so Jesus fulfills this office of prophet, but then he also fulfills the office of priest. Now, Stephen, a priest was somebody in the Old Testament that really had this responsibility of being a mediator between God and the people. So unlike a prophet, um, and, and, and they're a little different, because I sometimes think this prophet-priest thing get interwoven too much. But there are a lot different. <laughs> they are very different because a, a priest was was really a, a, a responsibility. We could think of it as a, I don't want to say a job, job. but I mean, because that this really seems to lower the responsibilities of a priest. But it was something that could be uh, sought after for certain individuals, and they um, could find themselves serving in the temple service or in the tabernacle, and then uh, really kind of being promoted, I guess mm-hmm. you could think about it that way, uh, to being the and, high priest 
of the people. But unlike that, the office of a prophet was somebody that God divinely appointed. Yes. So I think about somebody like Jeremiah. Jeremiah mm-hmm. is a good person to think about this because Jeremiah was a priest or he was aspiring uh, to be a priest. And then God comes to Jeremiah and he says, hey, Jeremiah, uh, you're not going to be a priest. You're going to be a prophet. And um, I, I'm setting you apart for this task. And And the fact was, I would think if you had to choose between the two, most people would probably rather be a priest. Uh, I mean, a, a priest role was pretty much uh, delineated in scripture. It was a process there that you had to do, but as a prophet, you didn't get to choose what you said or what you didn't say. God appointed you to that task. And so you see mm-hmm. people like Jonah and Elijah mm-hmm. and Jeremiah having to, in a prophetic way, uh, speak on behalf to the people. And it was never, never a popular message. Mm-mm. Yeah. And so I think there's a little difference there. But when we think about the office of a priest, what were some of those responsibilities that the priest had? Yeah. So um, the, part of it, too, when becoming a priest is also familial. If you look in the Old Testament, it was right. based on your family that you were born into. However, their responsibilities Um, were mainly what you referred to as the prophet is the mouthpiece, but the priest is the mediator, the one who goes before God on behalf of the nation of Israel. And I mean, this involved everything from going into the holies of holies and um, going before God on behalf of the sins of a nation. Presenting uh, the sacrifice. With the great sacrifice, helping prepare the other sacrifices for the people who would come and helping them through that. And so like their duties were kind of like pretty intense, but it mainly comes down to a mediator. Now, out of all three of these offices in our country, when you hear them all, you're probably at least your mind at least generally thinks, well, this is the one I'm most familiar with, right? Because mm-hmm. depending on your religious background or where you have landed on some religious things, priests might have been a part of your past or might be a part of the denomination that you have uh, been a part of. And uh, these priests, though, in the Old Testament were slightly different because they had a much bigger responsibility on behalf of a nation and not mm-hmm. a denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also, there was a lot to do with how they went into the temple and how they went into the Holy Holies and how uh, they sacrificed. And so that's why earlier when you heard me say that all three of these are very unknown to the context that we're in, that's what I meant by that is the actual offices that are represented by this. But these priests were very, very important on the religious scene in that day. In fact, you could argue like this was... It was a religious office, but this was like they had a big say in a lot of things that would happen. Very influential responsibilities. The high priest, in fact, would be looked at in the nation of Israel as like, I mean, within reason, what he says a lot of times kind of can go because he's the mediator between God and man. And so they had a very, very prestigious office in those days. However, it was a God-ordained office, just like prophets were a God-ordained office. And uh, we see that the more you go in scripture, it was God fulfilled again. Mm. And it was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Yeah. I even think about uh, what it took to be um, a priest, like the qualifications were very selective. Certainly, yeah. I, I made it sound like anybody could do it. No, oh, but it, yeah, it was no. a certain individual from a certain tribe. And, they uh-huh. had... and I think even in the way that you look at that, just how selective it, it was to become anointed as a priest or high priest. Um, and then to see Jesus as 
our high priest, the great high priest. I mean, he's the only one to meet those qualifications. Um, there's absolutely nobody else who could have fulfilled the role of the great high priest as Jesus did to provide that ultimate sacrifice um, for sin. So I think um, even in just looking at it that way, it becomes so much more, you know, deep and powerful to see like, he, whereas everything before was a shadow of things, like it says in, in Hebrews 10, um, Jesus came as the fulfillment of those things. Exactly. Paul, I love that you bring yeah. up Hebrews, by the yeah. way, too, because Hebrews, Hebrews, <laughs> Hebrews 10 really talks about the office of a priest. It is. And, and I think what Paul picks up, though, in First in Timothy, in First Timothy 2, verse 5, he tells Timothy, he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mm-hmm. men, the mm-hmm. man, Christ Jesus. Yeah. And so Jesus comes to fulfill not only the office of a prophet, but to fulfill the office of a priest. And and he does so in two ways. Uh, the first is that Jesus offers himself uh, as a sacrifice for sin. And so while priests, of course, in the temple through the different sacrificial offerings and many times was that of a lamb, Jesus comes in the world. John the Baptist says he's the lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world. And, and Jesus dies on the cross. He dies as this sinless substitute uh, for mankind. And Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice for sin. But Jesus not only is the ultimate sacrifice that removes sin forever, where all these sacrifices in the temple and tabernacle and things that had been done for centuries were simply foreshadowing the need for a perfect sacrifice, and Jesus comes to fulfill that. But then he also fulfills the role of high priest in that he presents that perfect sacrifice uh, to God the Father. We see that in um, Hebrews 4. And uh, thinking there, uh, once again, Hebrews 4, we'll pick up maybe in verse 14, uh, the Bible says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the, through, through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our converse. Our, our, let me read this again. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let's just unpack this passage in Hebrews a minute and think about what is the significance that is now in that is now ours in Christ uh, through this priestly work of Jesus. Well, I mean, it it starts with the significance of what happened when Jesus rose again and the veil at the temple was torn in two. Mm. Um, all of a sudden, the presence of God in that holy of holies, um, right, uh, sitting upon the mercy seat of the um, of the ark of the covenant. All of a sudden, the veil that had been there for centuries, a <laughs> uh, long, long time, that was separating God's presence from the nation of Israel. What a profound visual like, picture. Yeah. There's a of, big separation. At the death of Christ on the cross, we see this veil in the temple torn in two. And no man could tear it because the only way to go in would be the high priest would go in once a year for, right. on behalf of the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. This, um, this veil was so thick. You read how many layers were a part of it. This is not a human feat. This is a supernatural feat, and God rips it in two, meaning his presence is available now to all. 
There is not no, through now a mediator, but now through Christ and the death of Christ. There is no human that needs to go on behalf of me to God. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the perfect human, Jesus, came on my behalf Certainly. and went before God. Certainly. And yeah. so now, I mean, it starts there and then it just goes down through. I, I, I love But this in, is, let's, let me pause you there for a second because that's significant regarding a person's theological tradition. Mm-hmm. Because what, what the significance of Jesus fulfilling this office of high priest means that we no longer need a mediator between God and man. And and so many um, different religions are set up in a way that you have to go before the priest in order to gain access with God. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to, um, you have to confess your sins to a priest and not to God. And, and yet the gospel is showing us here that God made himself known to us yeah. and that Jesus fulfills this in a perfect way. And, and, and no longer do we have to fear being destroyed <laughs> and seeking contact with the, like if somebody had gone behind mm-hmm. the curtain, um, unclean and not in the proper office, like they would have they been died. struck dead. It yeah. happened. And, but now like we, God doesn't have like a veil in order to protect us even now because he is our protector and we have direct access to him. It's just such an incredible thing. It is, but I mean, even the death of Christ on the cross and thinking about just the the significance of the temple veil being torn at that moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, in that day, can you imagine in first century the significance of that? Mm -hmm. I mean, even even for the early church and the disciples, as they began to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, they had to have made that connection and that correlation Mm -hmm. between the temple and between the death of Christ and the cross. And that was something that was irrefutable. People couldn't argue with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a reality. So so go back to where you're headed, Stephen. Cause yeah, and like with, with the offering that Christ made, we know that it is permanent because of Hebrews 10. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 10, beyond a shadow of a doubt, tells us that what Christ did was permanent because it says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's in verse 11. Then verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then down in verse 14, it says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that this is, it's done. <laughs> like is, there yeah. is no more sacrifices. There's no more priests. Um, I'm, I mean, biblically, you cannot come to a conclusion that I still need a mediator between myself and God. No, there is none. Biblically, right. the office of a priest has been fulfilled. And that's why in the New Testament church, you didn't see one. Yeah. Go right. look in, go look in Acts, go look in the New Testament church. There are no priests. Why? Well, because no longer do I need a mediator. The mediator is Christ Jesus, the right. perfect man who right. came, the perfect God man who came, but he came perfectly 100% as each. Right. And, and Hebrews he's talks about, Exactly. And Hebrews yeah. goes on to talk about how Christ mediates on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he fulfills that office still uh, to, to this day. But then in Hebrews 4, when it talks about that we have we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. I, I, I love this. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What is that saying? Oh, my goodness. Like the fact that um, Jesus would choose to come and to dwell like a human body, take on human form um, – so he could, he could identify with us in every way because no longer do we have someone that's like so high above us that we can't, there's no way that they could comprehend the things that we go through. Like Jesus knows every aspect of it. And because of that, it enables him to even further 
um, accomplish this responsibility as our high priest. Um, and like in, in Romans 5, um, it just shows like how uh, Jesus kind of not just cleaned up the mess, but he obliterated the past of like mm-hmm. sin tainting all of humankind. Um, and in Romans 5 verse 15, it's it's talking about uh, the gift of Jesus' sacrifice in his life. Um but the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, um, overflowed to many. Um, but from and then later on down in verse sixteen, from one from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Mm-hmm. Um, since by one man's trespass death reigned over that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? And it right. was by one man's disobedience everything was destroyed and tainted with sin. But Which through, was who Adam? Adam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with original sin, but then when Jesus comes on the scene as this. Um, God, man, 100% God, 100% man, by his perfect obedience, all of that was taken away. Right. I think too often we skim over what you just said. So Adam comes onto the scene and sins and plunges mankind into sin, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's not God's original creation intention, right? It was perfection when he originally created. So the second Adam, right? Jesus Christ had to come. And that's where, if you've ever heard that term, that's what it's referring to is Jesus Christ coming to live the life Adam and you and I were supposed to. And too often when we're sharing the gospel, it's, well, you know, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Hmm. Awesome. It's true. You're you're absolutely correct and biblical in saying Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. But Jesus lived in your place. He lived for 33 years, and you read the verse, he was tempted just like you were, yet he was without sin. That means Jesus was tried. That means Jesus, he was tempted. He he went through the same mess you go through, but Jesus, the God-man, came into our mess to save us from our mess. Mm. And the only way to do that was to live in our mess and to rise above it, which is something you and I can never do. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have the ability to do it. And so he lived in our place. He died in our place. He was buried and he rose again like you and I. <laughs> do, we, we can't even comprehend the power to do that. Uh, we can maybe comprehend a little bit of like, hmm. oh, yeah, say, so, okay, so somebody lived perfectly. I mean, it's hard to, for us to understand because we're so imperfect. But yeah, but to rise again, like what? That's completely like. That's completely yeah. a different level. And he did all of it so he could save us from our mess. Why? Because he is the perfect priest. And the significance of that is found in verse 16 of, of Hebrews 4, where it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mm-hmm. So what is what is the significance then of Christ's priestly office? I mean, for us, what, where does this access Access. i mean we we have access to god's throne like Mm. what in the world what a privilege um i mean that's something that for many centuries people who were followers of yahweh could not necessarily say in that sense like on a personal level you and i though we have access to the holy spirit of god living inside of us because of the priestly duties of Jesus Christ that he perfectly fulfilled a God ordained office but also a God fulfilled office. And there's there's such a there's such a striking, you know, thought there in my mind when I think about coming boldly yeah. to a throne of grace. Mm-hmm. You know, like oftentimes, you know, we we you know 
so we've been talking about there is no mediator between God and man other than the person Christ Jesus. And yet, you know, there are some traditions today where people have to go before a priest uh, to confess their sins. And uh, I mean, I remember hearing a story of a young priest who was serving in a confessional booth and he was being watched over by this older priest. And uh, at the end of the day, the older priest turned to the younger priest and he said, son, when a person finishes confession, you have got to say something other than wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. But like, but like God's not saying wow. Mm-mm. Yeah. To think about the fact that when we can come boldly to the throne of grace, God is not taken back with our sinfulness. He knows our sinfulness. He knows our need of him. And I think sometimes when we're in sin and we find ourselves um, just struggling in those things, oftentimes we fail to run to Christ, who's our high priest. And, um, and, and that's actually the, the first place we should go. We, mm-hmm. we should run to him and, uh, run to Christ, um, because of his, his finished work. Yeah. So Christ is prophet. He is priest. And then finally he is king. Um, this is something, you know, if you're listening, uh, to us and you're in America, which is probably most of you, uh, our nation was founded against tyranny, against a king. And so this is probably, probably one of the most of the three that really seem to rub against us. Um, but what is the significance here of Jesus as king? Well, I think we need to, again, understand, um, like the office of king in the old Testament, right? And the fact that for ages, there was no kings. There wasn't. Um, And then all of a sudden, or at least over the nation of Israel, I should say, there was no kings um, because God was ruling over his people. Uh, And you see kings of other nations, and those nations would generally go um, away from God's will. However, you see the people uh, of Israel there in, I believe it's 1 Samuel, where they come and they uh, they request a king. They demand it. They demand it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. they wanted to be like the other nations. And, yeah. and Samuel tries to kind of be like, well, no, let's, let's not do this. It's not the best option. Yeah. But they continue to demand. Right. And so God gives them their wish. And um, and they have a king. And they start to have kings over the nation of Israel. Now, I think it's important to look, too, to see that God did, I believe, ordain and institute government um, in the Old Testament Certainly. as a protection. And we, if you if you wonder where we stand on, like, government and the roles of government, go back and listen to uh, our, first our first episode yeah. uh, in the first season. Came right out of the gate. Yeah, we did. So <laughs> I think it's important, though, to see that the role of government and even of a king, you could argue, is God instilled and ordained. Uh, I believe it's important to understand that because these other roles were God ordained. And so we need to understand that this is God ordained as well. However, it was filled in the Old Testament by imperfect substitutes. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And these men like, (laughs) I mean, what a disaster. I mean, you go read a dumpster fire. It seems to go from bad to worse. I mean, and then you'd have like a little glimmer of hope though. I think that that was the, like the saddest part of reading through Kings and Chronicles is it's like getting worse, worse, and worse, and then you have like this glimmer of like hope. Josiah, and it's and you're like, like, oh man, this dude, is wonderful. This is this is the end of all the tyranny. We finally have something, and then it's just like boom, it's yeah. was worse than ever Broken before. Well, I think what's even more sad is when you look and you realize like God was supposed to be their king, and yet they begged him for very limited and just incomparable substitutes. Yeah, you right. know. 
That, that's it's yeah, so and hard. that it is human yeah. nature. I mean, even in the sense of a king and the leadership a king has over his people. I mean, um, there is something in us that longs for that and to see you know that fulfilled in a right way. And you know, there there is great power that happens when somebody in leadership uses their responsibility, their authority well. And then we also can see instances where somebody in leadership or an authority just made a mess of things mm-hmm. uh, by that as well. And so, you know, there is that tension, I think, that we feel. Um, and I think that's what you're picking up in the Old Testament. I mean, that's what the people of Israel felt um, as, as they wanted that and they longed for that, because that is something that Christ, I mean, that God has... Um, he is ordained once again, Stephen, something he has ordained uh, that in his new kingdom that Christ will reign. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, we read in Revelation at one point, Christ rules with a rod of iron. And then and then we also mm-hmm. see him just reigning and ruling as king who is worthy of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we, we, we what we see here is that, well, a prophet had a responsibility of being a mouthpiece, a, a priest had a responsibility of being a mediator. And, and a king was this monarch, this one who rules over God's people. And in the office of a king, Christ not only subdues us to himself, but he rules and he defends us. I mean, you know, we see what he has conquered. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 13 through 14, says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so what Paul's arguing for there in Colossians is that Jesus is ruling in such a way that sin might no longer reign over us mm-hmm. and that those who are now in Christ have been delivered out of that kingdom of darkness and are now transferred into the kingdom of his son and you know everything about an earthly king that we want to bristle against is everything that Christ is not mm-hmm. you know yeah. and the significance of that yeah he's not he's not some person who's driven by the the need or desire for power or to be domineering in a sense that just for the sake of enjoying being in power over people like that's not it it's he is the truest king and the most good king because he rules absolutely out of um love in his position of authority that he well deserves you right. know as the third person of the trinity there at creation all things were created by him through him and you know because and of him, for all him. Th- yeah for him and all right. things exist because of him so um yeah, it's it's he is the ultimate desire of our hope. Like Jesus is the king that we're all seeking in the core of our being. Right. And he's not just a king, but he is the king of kings. Yeah. Matthew and Matthew 28, all authority, Jesus mm-hmm. said, on heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, we see in, in Philippians that at the name of Jesus, uh, ch- chapter 2, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him, Christ, and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord unto the glory of God the Father. And I mean, what an amazing thought that mm-hmm. um, that here Christ is not just king, but he is king of kings. And mm-hmm. the significance of that is that what, well, that he holds all authority. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and so what we what we what we see as we read the Old Testament, and I encourage you to do this is in your in your own Bible reading, you you watch these offices of prophet and priest and king, and notice how the people were anticipating a perfect prophet, a perfect priest, and a perfect king, and you see glimmers of hope throughout the Old Testament, but all of those people fall incredibly short of fulfilling what is needed and then Jesus comes and and he he kind of emerges as this one who is the perfect prophet priest and king so as we kind of just kind of wind down and and kind of now let all of what we've talked about how does the rubber meet the road in terms of our culture today and what we understand about these things what is collectively then the significance that Jesus is prophet priest and king well, I think it's significant in the fact that we need to recognize how um, how this is all played out, right? Like we've talked about how um, God ordained the office of prophet and priest, and he perfectly fulfilled both of those offices, right? And he ordained the office of king, and he did perfectly fulfill it. However, there is still some work to be completed in the in that um, arena, so to speak. Uh, I think of Hebrews 2.8, where, or 2.7, where it says you made for him a little talking about Jesus, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. Uh, there, no, that's the case. There is a time <laughs> I mean, right certainly. now where, right. where, yes, has Jesus fulfilled the role of a king perfectly in a spiritual sense? Well, yes. And even physically, yes. However, he has not ruled or he has not done away with the human ruling up to this point but there is a day coming Mm -hmm. there is a day coming and that is the second coming of christ when he comes and he he perfectly and powerfully will completely fulfill this office of king of kings and he will rule over all and uh no more imperfect human governors or Mm -hmm. governments you know it's all done away with because he will rule and i think that's something that in this day especially with all the political Political turmoil um, in our country, in our world. Uh, you don't have to go far. Just open up any news app, and mm-hmm. you'll find political turmoil. I think we have a reminder mm-hmm. of looking forward to the perfect King who will completely fulfill that role, and uh, we have reminders each day to know I serve the King of Kings and yeah. I serve the Lord of Lords. Right. I, I think another uh, in another vein. Um, that's. Because what you just said, Stephen, was a little bit more future focused, which is it's so good and so true that we do have a future and a hope to look forward to with Jesus as our King of Kings is that even now, um, his authority means something for us living in this day that we live. And if believers and non-believers alike, it doesn't matter because Jesus is has authority over all, which means that what this king who has authority has declared is what stands. Mm-hmm. So that puts an end to the notion of relative truth, mm. which I think is a massive um a pervasive disease that is spread through cultures all around the world, not just our own, mm. but you can really see it in in America um, and in these postmodern nations where truth, um, it comes from everyone um, right. as it's fitting to them. Right. There is no king who can tell me what truth is. Years ago, people in America needed to be reminded that they were not good people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were bad people and we needed to be reminded of what is good. And there was a sense of of morality in our country that people may not have embraced 
uh, Christianity, but they in, at least embraced a type of worldview that had some objective standard of truth. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're facing now in our society today is that there are some people that are still wanting to hold on to that. And so when they meet somebody that does not believe in objective truth, they're like, well, you idiot. Like, what do you, you know? And they're like, I think sometimes I see Christians doing this. It's like, they're trying to like beat people over the head for not agreeing or or coming to understand the sense of objective truth. Mm -hmm. And, and once again, we're not here to oppose our society, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ transforms it. And Mm so in those conversations with people, you know, it could be anything. It could be, uh, immorality or, or adultery or something. And sometimes you talk to somebody and you're like, um, you know, well, that's that's wrong. And, you know, years ago, they would have been like, oh, yeah, you're right. That is wrong. Uh, nowadays, they're like, who well, are you to tell me? <laughs> who are you to tell me? And but what we find is that the yes, while the culture has shifted in some of those things at the heart of man, we still have a worldview of how we approach life. And while our worldview is different than somebody else's, uh, they are still asking and answering some of those existential questions of who am I, why am I here, where am I going? And I think without Christ, without Christ being our perfect prophet, priest, and king, if you don't have Jesus and you've not been brought into Christ, there is this crushing weight Mm -hmm. of realizing that whatever you have made the center of your life to be cannot and will not bear up under the weight of what you're trying to put on it. And I think that is why today we see people so disillusioned in politics and so disillusioned in in our country or things that people are seeing is because I think they're trying to center their life around something that cannot bear up the weight of that. I mean, it's the same thing that happened in the Old Testament with the children of Israel and the way that they were putting their hope in men rather their hope in God. And, you know, I think about Revelation 5, and and in Revelation 5, you see that picture there of John seeing – he's – has his vision of being in heaven. And verse 1, that I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written – within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break his seals. And John says in verse three, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because there was found no one to open the scroll or to look into it. And I just like, I read that passage. I think, man, maybe that's evident of, of people today as they, as they look out on, on, on our society or, 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 things that, you know, we, we just weep loudly uh, because what we are trying to build or center our life on, we don't see. Um, it, it's, it's, it's just crushing us. And then we see, well, what, what happens there in, in Revelation? And one of the elders said to him, he says, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And what you're talking about, Stephen, is Christ coming to fulfill uh, one day when he comes and sets up his kingdom, uh, he has all authority, and one day every knee will bow. And I think the where it, where this hits home right now is uh, challenging people to embrace Christ as the King of their life. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we've we've made we're we're trying to fulfill that office in some other thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm was embracing his authority because it's not a matter of does he have authority no he does he's fulfilled the authority it's just there is 
there's a time when he will enforce that authority upon all. Certainly. And we must embrace the authority before he enforces the authority upon all because right. there is there is we sometimes I think in our modern day we kind of, you know, we kind of put some nice ruffles and try and wrap the gospel all up nice and tight and to where there's there's never an authority of Christ. You know, he's never going to be a judge. And well, no, Christ is the judge. He's the righteous judge and he will be a righteous king and he will enforce his authority and you should embrace it <laughs> because there will be a time when you can't. Right. Um, and once it's enforced... I mean, you, you, it's in, you better have embraced and it's it. In, in, and it's in obeying a king like that that we find our chaos, our turmoil, uh, it, it finds a resolution. It, it yeah. finds this this home of, of one that can be at peace and at rest. And so Jesus is far superior. Mm-hmm. And that's what the author of Hebrews is making the point. Jesus is far superior than any prophet. So listen to him. And listen to his word. He is far superior than any priest in the Old Testament. And so run to him and and, and, and cling to him and be fervent to him in prayer. And then thirdly, Jesus is far superior than any king. So obey him mm-hmm. and, and live in the joy of what it means to obey Christ. And I think it is this underpinning, it's this understanding about how Jesus fulfills these things and how now we have been reconciled to God through Christ. It is this theological underpinning that's really going to kind of set the stage for us to talk about uh, some things in the church and some things in culture in this season. So uh, we hope you stick with us for the rest of the season, and we've enjoyed being with you today. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you've heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we would love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts and questions and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. You can also check us out on social media, and there you'll find a number of things that are not posted on our regular episode uh, releasings. And uh, join us here next time as we jump into a mini-series looking at the dynamic of prayer in the early church. We'll see you then.